Hello, welcome to the Car Stories Podcast, brought to you by the Peterson Automotive Museum. My name is Kyle Hyatt. With me, as always, my stalwart co-host, James McKeon. You know him. You love him. He's why you come back every week. He's why I come back every week. Because anyway, you've got the keys. That's true. I got, yeah, I do have the keys. Uh, we are here today. We're pretty excited about this with Camilo Pardo. Uh, that name might sound a little bit familiar uh, to you if uh, you're a fan of Ford and uh, some of their more exciting design projects over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, probably most famous for having uh, been the lead designer on the uh, Ford GT. Uh, not the one that's coming out, but the one that's really cool that has V8, you know, like as it should. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's nice hey. to have you. Hey, it's great to be here. Right on. So, um, yeah, so you, I guess getting started, you uh, you split time between several different places so you're in la sometimes you have uh you're, you're into you're primarily detroit still though right it's starting to reach half and half now okay and is that half you want to spend obviously the the winter in detroit and the summer and the <laughs> that would be ideal but the unfortunate situation is that the detroit auto show is in january ah. and i host designers night uh, that needs at least a month or two preparation yeah, I always thought that was weird that they decided to do that at that time. That's just a seems like a real bad time to be in the upper Midwest. Yeah, just, if it was in the summer, that would really work out nicely, and then I could stay here all winter. There you yeah. go. You could fly down south for the winter, but I guess not for not for the motor show. Mm -mm. Uh, so I guess getting getting into it right away. How, how did you kind of find your way to, to to getting involved with cars as a as a hobby, a career? A, a passion, a calling, if you will. Well, you know, sometimes I, I try not to elaborate too much on this because it really dates me. Mm -hmm. Cause, because I was a little kid, um, it, at least it, old enough to be aware of like 67, 64 Mustangs, uh, the Corvettes, mm -hmm. the Superbirds, all these fantastic muscle cars that hit the street and they were... I mean, they're beautiful colors. They're very bright. They're dynamic. I was a speed racer fan. Sure. You know, and back then, uh, you know, my uncles, you know, they were really into Indy, Al Unser, Mario Andretti. Mm -hmm. So all these things became common knowledge. And, I mean, I was excited. Yeah. So those things hit in the street. You know, I was, uh, I was all about it and... By the time I was in fourth grade, I was pretty sure that I wanted to be an automotive designer. Well, that's, uh, I mean, I, at that time, I mean, how do you even figure out kind of, I mean, now somebody's like, I want to do X, Y, or Z for a living. I'm going to go on the internet and see how to do that. At that time, like, that's a pretty lofty goal. How do you, how did you kind of like find your way to like, this is what I need to do to do this as a career? Well, I had like a couple choices. The other factor is that I was an artist. My my family, you know, they're artists, they're architects, and um, my mother painted a lot, mm -hmm. and I painted a lot. It was the 60s, you know, pop art was in, and I was extremely familiar with the Museum of Modern Art. Mm -hmm. I grew up in New York City, and art was, you know, it was everywhere. Sure. So between the cars and the art, as, as I got older, I knew I wanted to be involved with racing and automotive you know the the cars that i liked yeah and um i asked uh i asked an uncle of mine that worked at gm and i and i said 
do engineers make as much or do designers make as much as engineers? <laughs> and he said, yeah, they make the same. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a car designer because <laughs> I don't want to do all this math anyways. Yeah, yeah, I like that rationale, though, which will go where the money is kind of thing and say, sure. which, one, which one can I do? It was more fun. Clearly, like, we didn't do that because we're podcasting. And we work in a dungeon. <laughs> Sorry, a vault. a vault. A vault. Yeah, a vault. Nice, yeah. yeah. And still no natural light. I, I I don't know what the sun looks like. I haven't been allowed outside in months. Yes. Uh, um, well, that's that's really interesting. So uh, you went to, which, which design school did you go to then? Well, we had moved from New York City to Detroit. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of simplified it that, you know, Center for Creative Studies, that was, you know, where a lot of, GM, Ford, and Chrysler were hiring people. It was either that or Art Center. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people coming from Pratt. But in you know in the '60s and '70s, that's where you know all the designers were graduating from. And since we are in Detroit, that made it very practical. But looking back, you know, it would have been great to gone to Art Center and yeah. <laughs> spend mornings at the beach or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a not a bad not a, place to go to school. I mean, no, not at all. It's got a nice little view there. You know, nice well, it's, yeah, campus. it's a nice view. Assuming like you know, it is Pasadena. There is a smog problem. Assuming you can see out the window, it's going to be a great day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think um, growing up in Detroit, you know, gives you a nice kind of like patina or yeah, this edge. You know, this, yeah. there's this thing about Detroit. You know, the people in Detroit, the music from Detroit, and the design from Detroit. That, and did that mean you do the cruises as well that Detroit's famous for? You'd be on Woodward Avenue? The cruises actually started when I was in a European assignment. Oh, okay. I was living in Italy, and then I got calls. There's drag races on Woodward, and the cops are letting it go. And I was <laughs> like, what, what's going on? You know, I'm missing out. And by the time I got back, you know, it was in third, fourth year, and um, now they were under, like, strict rules. And it's it, it's fun, but it's like the biggest traffic jam in the world. Oh, yeah, sure. If you got a hot rod that's sensitive to overheating, that's not where to be. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like trying to leave the SEMA show. We, we were leaving um, a couple of weeks ago. Like we just saw a line of of like thirty two Fords puking coolant everywhere, like waiting to get out. It's uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. I I um I was excited to take my GT mm -hmm. to SEMA this year. I says, you know, I'm gonna make an effort. I'm gonna drive from LA to to Vegas and and have my car present. So did you, were you staying at the MGM? Yeah. Because like, I we we drove up and I was like, looks like Camillo's car. Is that? It, but I like, put it in the parking structure when I got there and I never took it out. Huh? No one saw it because you can't even get near. Yeah. SEMA. Yeah. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned being on a European assignment. I mean, what, how did you go from school to working for uh, you know a car company? Well, I mean, CCS is like a shopping you know center for mm -hmm. the automotive world. They come in. They they actually they come in to review the seniors because they want to get the best they can because mm -hmm. that's going to be their future for their design. Uh, center and uh when they're there they actually t have a good look at the juniors sure and if there's somebody hot that's second year they'll re they'll have a look at that so they basically keep an eye on everybody and by the time you graduate you know 
directors and VP by first name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they've sponsored your projects. You've done internships. You mm-hmm. know, it's uh, it. I'm sure it's the same program here at Art Center. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think so. Um, my friends were going everywhere. You know, uh, my friends were graduating, going to California. Some were graduating, going to Europe, and basically, I wanted to get out of Detroit. You know, I was done with the snow and all that. I'm not even from there. You know, I'm from yeah. New York. But um, so the best offers were from GM, Ford, and Chrysler. And we're talking 1985. Mm-hmm. So that's when they were strong, and they were stronger than all the other companies. Um, and Ford came up and said, okay, if you come with us, we'll send you to Italy, Germany, and England. You know, and that will be your schedule for the next four years. That's that's a pretty solid offer. And yeah. I says, well, that's that's fantastic. You know, um, you know, it would have been nice to been shot out to California, but Europe was big on my list, mm-hmm. and you know, I wanted to live Europe. You know, I want. You know, it was I did an intern in in France the summer before, so I had a taste of it, and I was all about it. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, and Ford was the most international uh, company at the time. You know, uh, they had Gia, mm-hmm. uh, and they had Cologne, they had Dunton, and I don't even know if they had California. They had a small California studio. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, what were some of the the projects that you worked on um, while you were doing this this sort of European stint over there? Well, the first time I went. Um, you know, you're really quite green. Sure. You know, I've only straight been into at, school. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'd been in the advanced studio for about a year, so they sent me over there just to experience the studio, and um, I helped with uh, some projects. Mm-hmm. I think we were doing probably like a focus. I remember we were doing a, a two door hatch, um, just conceptualizing. Uh, the Cadillac Alante had come out. Oh yeah. So Ford had answered that, and there was a Lincoln, and we kind of finished the Lincoln, and and then we set it up at the Paris Auto Show. Okay, okay. that'd be so. Fun. It was colorful, and it was really interesting because while we're setting up that Lincoln and we're taping it out, make sure that everything's cool. Um, I look across, and the car that I did as an internship was on a turntable across the aisle. Oh no, they had. <laughs> and scanning and remilling full size in '86 and '85 was like new technology. Sure, of course, yeah, for sure. And they did that. So I went over there, and the people that had me for the internship, they're like, "Oh my God, there's Camillo! Look what we did!" Mm-hmm. So that was very cool. It was um, it was early to have a car, yeah, in in an auto show, especially like Paris. Yeah, for sure. You know, and um, I asked my directors and stuff if I could go get a picture with it. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, sure, just tell them you're on the bigger and better things. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So while you're, like, doing school stuff, I mean, you weren't just doing car design. Like, you were also kind of doing your own stuff, like your painting, furniture design, stuff like that. I mean, tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, because my foundation was actually fine art. Mm-hmm. I was a fine artist first. Mm-hmm. Um you know, all through high school, of course, you're not doing car design and, you know, in high school. So I was doing as much painting as I could. I loved it. And my whole portfolio to go into CCS was all watercolor. Um, 
and when I got into college, I made sure to take a fine arts class every semester, mm-hmm. you know, to keep keep that, you know, gear lubricated. Sure. Yes. You know, whether it was uh, sculpture, anatomy, uh, painting and oil or watercolor, whatever it was, I had to have a fine arts class. When I graduated, oh, my God, now we got a salary and we got <laughs> all kinds of free time after five. Sure. Yeah. So I could afford a lot of paint, you know, a lot of watercolor paper, and I could paint till, you know, it was time to go to bed. And so I started doing a series of Formula One cars. I mean, mm. what else am I going to use? Oh, sure. <laughs> Subject matter. Yeah, yeah, you're in Europe. So you may I, as well. It's like suddenly you got all this time and you've got, you know, money to spend on it because you're used to living, you know, like a student. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. You know, and you're like barely getting by, and now you can just throw paint like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. So, you, you, I mean, painting is something that you, you've never stopped doing. Like, you still do a lot of, of painting, and, and your work is really interesting. One of the, my favorite sort of series of things that you did is um, kind of like a like a futuristic, like retro future. Like, it was like an it's like airplane racer, racing airplanes or whatever, but like styled almost like World War II kind of or cars and stuff like that. I call that desert races. Sure. And the reason I approach something like that is because when I hired in at Ford, mm-hmm. you, you start sharing studios with guys that have been there since the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and you look at some of their work, and that would include people like Sid Mead. Oh, yeah. And um, if you spoke to somebody back in 1963 and you said, well... We're going to be around around 2020, and they would be very, very sure that cars would not be touching the ground mm-hmm. at that time. <laughs> yeah. It really, I mean, they were getting ready to leave the ground. Yeah. I mean, look at Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. you know, and those old Cadillacs. They got wings. They look like jets, you yep. know, the Mercury astronauts mm-hmm. or the thing, you know, tech, that was the high tech thing, you know, it was like leaving the surface, you know, leaving Earth. So- by 2020, kind of like what uh, Blade Runner would, you know, show, we would be flying. So that was what I thought, you know, if they had hot rods and, you know, <laughs> in 2020, That's they probably looked, looked like, yeah. like that. They'd be like kind of a combination of a 32 Ford and a Mustang airplane and mm-hmm. with jet engines and yeah, it was funny too because you know now it's almost 2020, and instead of trying to make cars fly, we're trying to make them stick to the ground using the same thing, wings and, and stuff like that. You know? It's yeah. Well, we're not going to leave the ground. No, I, I, as the liability is going to yeah. be really crazy. Yeah, I think that's a difficult one to get yeah, over. As, with as that. awful as people are driving into in LA, I can't even imagine what it would be like if they could add like several other dimensions <laughs> to like have to control. Like that's it's well, terrifying. you can't break and turn on a dime. That's true. Yeah. You know, so. It's, it would just be flying, and, it, and the closer you fly to the ground, the more dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. My buddies have some planes, and sometimes we we fly across the water and some islands real low. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. But it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess going back a little bit to the design stuff, I mean, you, you did this work in, in Europe, and then eventually you came back to the States. And, like, what did they have you working on on then? Well, the last time I came back from uh, Europe, the first thing that they put me on was 
an electric car. Okay. A hydrogen car. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, we did that for a minute, and then um, and then I got on the Thunderbird. All right. Well, I did a Thunderbird with my with my team in Italy. Okay. okay. Because it was 1996, 97, and um, it was time to start doing the concept models for the upcoming Thunderbird. And what what, co- what the company like Ford would do is like, okay, they want to make sure that they they lift every stone. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to make sure everything is investigated. So they got California do a Thunderbird, Dearborn do a Thunderbird, um, Italy do a Thunderbird. The guys from Germany were doing Thunderbirds. Everybody was doing Thunderbirds. Just make sure that they covered their ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The best Thunderbird in Europe was this guy from Germany, and they sent him over to my studio, and then we did a Thunderbird in my studio with him and under my boss that was Italian Mm -hmm. that worked for Pinafarina at one point. Oh, wow. So the Thunderbird that we did was criticized to look too Ferrari, which is not a bad thing. No, no, but I mean, the original Thunderbird looked pretty Ferrari anyway. Yes, yes, it did, because the Thunderbird was probably the most European-looking American car when mm-hmm. it came out in 55. I mean, it, the big grill, the oh, two yeah. lamps, you know, and the, the body undulating mm-hmm. up and down over the lamps. Mm-hmm. So it was very European. And then, um, but the goal was to make it very 50s. Sure. So we sent our bird to Dearborn, and California sent their bird, and then I came home, and then they reviewed the bird's and uh they decided to do some more and uh we did a couple more um and i used to drive a 64 thunderbird okay that was i used to drive it to work every day i have one now so i really loved the way a thunderbird looked i thought it was yeah those are beautiful exciting cars. yeah it's a cool car you know i had a, the 64 thunderbird was actually more glamorous than a 64 Cadillac. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if agree. you went inside, looked at the interior, they put a lot of money into that Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a car designed for Dean Martin, for Frank Sinatra. It was a, a car designed for a bachelor to impress women. So, I mean, but it was okay back in the day. Well, sure. And um, so I've got, my bird was a, a bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And the the other bird, there was like two birds in the studio, and that one was more 50s, which was more modest. So they, they mixed them together. And um, the thing was that they didn't want to scare away the the female market. That makes sense. You know, so they didn't want something aggressive. So they they took the edge, edge off of it, which I think is unfortunate because now, I mean... It's not the kind of car that sticks in your mind. If it drives yeah. by you, it doesn't like really hit you hard. Yeah, it's and more then, of a oh, I haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, and then yeah. the measurement that I always use on kind of on the side is: is anybody going to restore that thing in twenty years? Yeah, that's yeah. a good metric. I think it's a real good metric that one. Yeah, and no, I don't think anybody is going to restore <laughs> that one. They'll they'll keep restoring the sixty three and sixty four. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting too. I mean, my um, my uh, my boss just bought a '63 Thunderbird, and you know, it's that beautiful sort of like light blue color with the white kind of cream interior and stuff. And it's this very, it's a very elegant car, and mm-hmm. it it feels so low 
too compared to a lot of other stuff from that era. Like it's very low slung. It's just it's really nice. Like it's that. wide, yeah, and low, and the body sections, and uh, the body sections are very entertaining because they definitely look like rockets. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got fins and a oh, nice sure. roll section. They they want to make you feel like you're just one step from leaving the ground. Yeah, that's interesting. When you were t- talking about um, the the Thunderbird, the original Thunderbirds being really European looking, we um, in the museum in the vault actually have the uh, Ferrari Barchetta that uh, uh, Enzo Ferrari sent to Henry Ford II um, when they were talking about initially trying to buy Ferrari. I guess like the first time. And uh, looking at that, and then looking at that same that kind of con- the the first Thunderbird, like the similarities are unbelievable. Like it's so it's it's not quite a direct ripoff, I would say, but that that it, it's so similar. It's it's really it's really interesting. Well, I mean that that brings us to something about people saying, okay, all cars today look the same. Um, back then, a lot of the cars looked the same too, because there was like. The high tech look, mm-hmm. sure, and everybody was on that wagon. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, it may have been Alpha, it may have been Ferrari or Ford's Thunderbird, or maybe even Corvette. But everybody had acknowledged that this is the cool look, and they were all doing derivatives of it, and that happens, you know. And it's actually uh, tied into technology and mm-hmm. what is what's exciting, what's going on now, and you know, can we all have a piece of it? Sure. Well, that, that's a, a good segue into cars today. I mean, what are some design trends that are going on right now that are interesting or appealing to you? Because, you know, the design of today is very different than the design of five years ago. Very, It, it all moves very quickly. So, like, what's jumping out at you now? Well, I'm not a very conventional person, mm-hmm. you know. I'm single. I don't have kids. You know, my kids are my cars. Sure. So my requirements for a car is is very, it's strictly like emotional. Mm-hmm. It's not, can I get, you know, the groceries in there? I go, I go grocery shopping with a Spitfire. Yeah. You know, I can get enough in there to keep me going. That's, that's, that's what you need for a few days and a half. Yeah. I go to Vaughn's. Yeah. You know, and uh, so... Shout I out can, to Vons as I well can, there. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I uh I can get it done like that. So what I like today is like I I, I check around, okay, let's say that's a four door. The most exciting four door, I think the best execution for four door today would be the Tesla mm-hmm. and the Aust uh, uh the Austin uh the Aston Martin. Oh yeah, the repeat? Yeah, because when I look at that car I walk I walk up to the front and it's got that beautiful front end yep. where you walk up from the back and it's got that just beautiful, you know, rear and you're excited to look at a Vantage or whatever and you look at it and you go, "Oh my god, it's got four doors." Yeah, exactly. They held their profile, they they held their grace. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful four door. Yep. And it looks like a two door. Yeah, it does. It looks like a fastback. So but when you look at a Tesla, and um, that just, I think, as far as the sculpture mm-hmm. and weight distribution and a way to make a large vehicle look light. Yeah, it is very elegant, the the Model yeah. S especially. Yeah. It's interesting what they're able to do with, because the packaging 
constraints are yeah. very, very different with we, an electric car than than with you know a, a, a gasoline car. They're usually more demanding. Yeah. Well, it's, we found out in interesting talking to Ian Callum. He stressed some of the different things that he could look oh, at when yeah. designing with an electric car. It means you can move so much more around. It gives you so much sure. more opportunities to change things. Yeah, I mean, when we were doing electric cars, before I was doing the Ford GT, mm-hmm. the um, the biggest problem was the package. Okay, you had all these batteries. Mm-hmm. The motor was actually quite small, but because of the packaging of the batteries and once you get the people sitting in there, mm-hmm. if you want four people in there, it looked like a oversized commuter Yeah, that cost as much as you know, a luxury car. Mm-hmm. So we're like, who are we going to sell this commuter to that's going to cost them as much as a Lincoln, mm-hmm. the best Lincoln, <laughs> or a Lexus or a Cadillac? And uh, are these people are going to be such good citizens and, you know, concerned about the environment that they'd rather drive this commuter-looking thing instead of their Lincoln? Yeah. You know, no, so... The market was weird, and you know that's why these things kept coming and going and stopping and never going mm-hmm. into a, a complete, you know, production. But now, when you see somebody execute it like a Tesla, yeah, that's a very graceful car. Mm-hmm. And I, my buddy works over there. I, I've known Franz for a long time, and mm-hmm. I got to say that they did a very, very nice job. I mean, for me to, you know, because I it takes quite a bit for me to get excited about uh like a four-door vehicle i mean sure i like lincoln's but i like the old school ones yeah sure. you know i've had i had my 66 cadillac too you know and galaxy and you know i've had a long you know list of and the t-bird's a luxury car mm-hmm. but um it's uh it's just very well executed as far as shape and form is a sculpture yeah you know and um and when i look at it I walk around it because there's something for me to learn from it. And that's kind of something I use as a measurement. Mm-hmm. If if the car has like something going on that makes me, oh, my God, I can learn from this. Mm-hmm. I can learn from it. Look at the proportions. Look at the surface uh, execution. Look at the contours. Look at the segues from, from the rear to the greenhouse to the door to the front. I mean, I'm learning from that car. That makes me excited. You know, yeah. I, I want to be able to do a car that good. You know, when, when you look at other cars and you're like, oh, I'm not really learning from this. Well, yeah. it's like, you know, it's that's kind of what I use to measure cars. Mm-hmm. Sure. They're educational. And then, so you talked about a four-door. What about a two-door that catches your eye then? Well, I'd be in the Aston. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Just the Aston straight away? Yeah, I mean, I think they've done a good job with the, with the Mustang. But um, if I was to say... Um, out of all the cars in the United States, and I could jump in a car and just leave, it would be the new Vet. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I I think the Vet. I love it, the Grand Sport with the bigger body and the but the not the crazy engine. Like that seems like a perfect car. Well, the the shapes, yeah, the contours. I think that they did a very good job of capturing the excitement and the dynamics that you get in those seventies Vets mm-hmm. yeah. or the late sixties with the super sharps. Uh, flying buttress, that mm-hmm. razor edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's those edges, but still having a lot of positive shape in an like in an anatomy yeah. way. Yeah, okay. great car. I'm a big fan of those as well. Um, I guess getting into the the GT a little bit. I mean, obviously that's that's a lot of you know when people that's what most people will associate associate with. I mean, 
kind of now probably forever. It was such an important car for Ford and it was an important car worldwide because, it, I mean, America was not really in the business of building supercars for the most part. But then that thing came out and it just blew everybody away because it, it looked great. It's a it great sounded car. amazing. Yeah. It worked. Like it turned, you know, like it, it surprised a lot of people. Like, what, what, tell us some about your experiences working on that. Well, yeah, that that car was a big surprise, and um, well, I I was fortunate because I worked on the GT ninety, mm-hmm. and before that, when I graduated from college, they put me on a mid engine car. Oh, cool! That got close to production. So the Ford GT was my third mid engine car as a you know as a Ford designer, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird because. That doesn't happen. No, there's that, not. That yeah, there's not many mid-engine Fords that you think about. Like, I know, yeah. I know. I was there for the right duration, and you know, for a company that was, you know, specialized and famous for sedans and station wagons, the most beautiful ones, the ones that set a pace for aero look and mm-hmm. all that, the Tauruses, and then for being an SUV specialist after the Explorer and having Explorers mm-hmm. in every size, you know, and Lincoln size and small size and medium size. I mean, and then to just out of the blue yeah. knock out, you know, a GT40 that had to be called the Ford GT, but that's the original name anyway, mm-hmm. um, was... Very inconsistent, unpredictable, and caught everybody off guard. And it, it back then it was also a very secret studio. Sure, we were uh, like on a satellite studio off the main um, design center. Then he, they uh, they brought it in just in time for a clinic, and then we got the green light for production wow. and a concept car. That car, you know, was like on and off so many times, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it, it got killed finally. The production car was, um, the program was, was killed after um, 9-11. Yeah. And, and the whole problem with Firestone and Explorers, you know, they basically came up to me and said, Camillo, this is no time to celebrate. Um, we're going to kill the production car. We're committed to the concept car, mm-hmm. you know, for the auto show. Just finish that. Wow. And I was like, that's it? You know, yeah, yeah, just get that done. And and it kind of it made me upset. I mean, it made the team upset. And I was like, I'm going to do the best show car I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we, I wanted the car to look like a production car. I didn't want it to look like a spaceship. The sure. GT90 looked like a spaceship. Yeah. And it kind of scared everybody. I wanted this thing to look like it was so close to being real. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I guess that that's basically an automotive designer's goal. Yeah. You know, to you know, to design a car of their dreams, get it in as a concept car, hit it, you know, lock it in dead center, hit right on target, and then have it go into production. I mean, if you can do that, then you're gonna be happy. Yeah. You know, you've 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 done what you've gone to college for you've done what you're alive for basically sure. yeah for sure and the only way that you can top things like that would be working for pinaferina and just doing one after another after another after mm-hmm. another you know you know you're doing uh you know all the different ferraris <laughs> and that would be just amazing but there's there's very few companies like that yeah to, so the gt has a lot of really interesting and sort of i think kind of unconventional design uh details like 
you think about a mid-engine car, you think like um, like a Lamborghini Diablo is a really good example where you can. It's very clearly it's a mid-engine car, but then you see like the cab is shoved so far forward that it almost feels like you're sitting on the front wheels. But the GT is not like that. There's a lot of front kind of front overhang. There's a lot of like stretched out from the windshield very like, well proportioned yeah it's it's just but it's really interesting and especially for for that era like what kind of made you go for that kind of a design as opposed to like a more conventional sort of cab forward well what happened is that cab forward became a design trend mm-hmm. um and it started because because of racing le mans cars the coolest cars were all cab forward I mean, and um and that's that's basically what everyone's goal was to do. It was like a race car. So they started sneaking it into sedans, you know, cab Ford sedan. Yeah. I think I remember Ford like did. Chrysler using that in their advertising, talking about yeah. Like, yeah. That was the thing. But cab Ford doesn't work if the backlight stays back there. Mm-hmm. All you get is a gigantic guppy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the backlight has to come with you. Yeah. As you move the windshield forward, it has to keep coming with you. So it only works well in, in um in mid engine cars. Sure. Now the reason cab forward works in like a Le Mans car is because the pillars are not right over the edge of the front wheel. Mm-hmm. The pillars are inboard. Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Now that gives you some room for the fenders to come up and down and it gives you more of a very sexy shape. Mm-hmm. But when you put two guys in there side by side with plenty of shoulder room and, you know, safety requirements and this and that, it pushes the A pillars right over the front wheels. Yeah. Now that area to me gets very crowded. You've got an A pillar coming into a landing, very little body color, and then the front wheel opening and that looks like an area that could fracture mm-hmm. okay. visually yeah. even yep. though it won't yeah but visually it looks it's uncomfortable i mean to me well that's that's kind of my thing with the, the like the, the diablo being that way is that mm-hmm. it gets very busy up front and it looks very nose heavy despite there being like eight feet of car behind it it visually it looks like all that weights over the front wheel the gallardo did that too yeah it was ready to snap at mm-hmm. that little area so it all came from that movement that you said, yeah, Chrysler was using it as, you know, as a slogan. Um, cab forward works for racing. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say that the GT's cab forward, but it's relaxed about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, the windshield's not running, you know, over the front wheels. It it can, and, and that makes the car sexy and it makes the car sexy like a p4 mm-hmm. ferrari mm-hmm. or a 512 sure where the windshield lands it gives it a minute and then it goes over the front fenders yeah and then it works its way down so it it kind of like it's like like a girl's tummy in her hips yeah and then down instead of like having everything like compressed together it's that og and that's what we call it it's a negative Mm -hmm. if you can have just a little bit of a negative before you go up it will actually emphasize your wheels yeah you know so your wheels aren't jammed in there it gives you that moment to sculpt a beautiful landscape that goes over the wheels and then flows uh, towards the front and then if um and and front overhang also gives you more room to design. Sure. 
because the first four GT concepts that we did were very short overhang, and it cuts your story quite short. Mm -hmm. It works good for an Audi, like an Audi TT or something. Sure, yeah. yep. You know, and it's just like, boom, you know. Right but there. If you have room and, you know, the opportunity to design a little bit more into the nose, and I don't mean like a long overhang, like a 70s sedan. Yeah. You know, we're talking about really tapering down and, you know, going aerodynamic and, you know, reducing the shape into a penetrator. Mm -hmm. So it's those kind of, it's it's actually spacing out your proportions and your volumes so that you have an opportunity to sculpt. And a lot of that works well with the package as well. Yeah. There's there's no sense shoving everybody forward if you don't have to. It's going to be cab forward because the only thing that's not going to make it look, I mean, the one, what won't make it look cab forward is if you have like another row of seats in the yeah. in the backlight, which mm -hmm. is the back window sure. for mm -hmm. the people that don't know what a backlight <laughs> is, is way back there. No, but the backlight comes right with you and the other situation, as you take the cabin and um, and situate it properly, when you go under the rear fenders, you keep those high. Yeah, that makes sense. Real high so that the cabin gets submerged. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it from the rear, basically you have almost no cabin. You know, the prominent thing are those nice big fenders. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it reduces the size of the greenhouse, and that's what that's what makes the car look light, sexy, and and then after the large rear wheels, you know, you can reduce the shape into the fuselage where the doors are, mm -hmm. and I would call that like a waist, yeah, that you makes know, sense. right after the hips. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is starting to get really, really sexy. So that I mean that's how people say can cars be feminine? Yeah, very feminine. But can they be aggressive? Yes, very aggressive. Sure. You know that's what makes them masculine. Mm -hmm. So I mean I would say like a like a Ferrari GTO, a two eighty eight. Oh yeah, very feminine. But, but it's a very, very masculine car yeah. at the same time. So it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're they're both handling two areas very very well, and then. The most important thing, well, outside of, you know, the anatomy of the car is the fascia. Yeah. You know, and now you've got the personality of the car, and that's a real hard one. Mm -hmm. You have to get that right, balanced right, you know, the right look, you know, on the right expression. You know, whether is it, is it, ex does it have expression like a Lamborghini Mira? Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Sure. Or is it like the GTO 288, which is mechanical? You know, actually, you know. looking at the front of the GT and then looking at that 288 GTO, actually all over the cars, I do notice there's like a, there's a lot of similarities. Like the GTO, rather than like the 512s had a much more pointed front end, the GTO was a little bit more truncated in, in some ways, whereas the same as like the, 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 the hood line or whatever of the GT kind of slopes down and then it it's very like kind of, truncated looking and and not not a, there's just it has its vertical area yeah 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 that's exactly that's a better way to say it than truncated it, repeatedly and the vertical <laughs> area actually gives it a bit of a jaw yeah so, exactly you know, it does yeah because like if you look at a um a 308 that is 
for the U.S. Mm-hmm. In inside you, it comes to a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the GTO, after the point, there's a vertical wall. Exactly. Yep. And that gives it like a volume. Mm-hmm. And a lot of cars have that. The Aston Martins have that. Mm-hmm. There's that nice wall there. It gives it a, a, a certain amount of mass and weight mm-hmm. that holds it to the ground. Definitely. Sure. Nice. Um, what, uh, I mean, I guess, what is it about the GT? I guess a different way to put it. A lot of cars from that era, like that 05, 06 era, have not really aged well. Even even like cars like, you know, Ferraris of that period are kind of, looking at them now are a little bit, eh, and and sort of bland. But the GT like still looks great. Like that car still looks, we have one in the vault. And every time we go by, it's like that, that could come out today and it would, it would make perfect sense. Like that car's aged really well. What do you think about that design allows it to do that? What, like what keeps it present without, you know, being too futuristic? Well, that's, um, it's about getting the, the proportions, the, the formula, the, you know, it's about spending enough time with the vehicle, with the clay, mm-hmm. you know, and tuning it and trying many things until you pretty much tried everything. And it, it, it ends up being a well-balanced car, you know, with some good graphics. And if you achieve that, you know, it'll be just like like the Mira. The Mira is going to look beautiful in 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks beautiful today. Yeah, agree. And 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 cars like we talked about the ones that I that I like the the the, the GTO the two eighty eight. Um, there's there's a long list of cars that will look beautiful forever. You know, nine elevens. You mm-hmm. know, and just iconic cars. Yeah, it it's just basically they got the formula right. And if you get the formula right, it'll look good that year, the next year, and It'll, it'll, it's again, it's like a beautiful woman, Mm -hmm. you know, a beautiful woman from 1960, Bridget Bardell, you know, Sophia Loren, if they walked in here like they did back then, they wouldn't look out of date. They would look great now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you get it right, it's going to look good for good. For sure. You know, so it, you know, and sometimes programs get rushed and sometimes they follow a same a strange trend maybe like a a a suit you bought that had (laughs) funky lapels that were cool that year yeah but you could have got you know a a, a prada or gucci or something that had more classic lapel that was well proportioned it'll look good today yeah Yeah. and the funky lapel won't not so much (laughs) Speaking of uh, clothing, you've done a bit of fashion designing, haven't you, yourself? Yes. Um, it's a medium that I enjoy a lot, and I don't find it to be very foreign, you know, because everything that we learned about proportions and graphics, you know, and line uh, that we do on automobiles directly, you know, applies to fashion design. It's um, the anatomy um you know, of a girl is is a is a beautiful thing to work with, to divide into colors and contrast and materials and 
you know, sheer and opaque. And I mm-hmm. mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it's as much fun as designing cars. Sure. And it's, it's very exciting. And when, and it's a lot of work and you, you know, you scream and yell and throw things while you're doing it. And, and you know, it goes through the same phases of sketching it out, making a mock-up, you know, and working with the girl. That's the package. Mm-hmm. And then um, most of the stuff that I do is right on surface. I don't, I don't do any drapey okay. sure. stuff. I, um, I, I maybe I'll, I'll try some. I was gonna try some for this year for uh, for a show, but even then, if it's drapey, you know, I definitely like you know, the graphics to get right back on surface. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, and it's just like a car in many ways that if you put stripes on a car, it really shows its shape and form. Uh, you put stripes on a girl's dress, it shapes, it really, you know, emphasizes her shapes and forms. Sure. So it's completely related. And, um, just like when you see your car go on a turntable at the auto show and see a girl go down a runway with your stuff. It's just, it's just as exciting. And I assume it's the same as well for seeing your aunt hang in a gallery. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot of fun too. Mm. I mean, that's uh, the moment of wine and cheese after all the work. It's <laughs> just sure. definitely something to look forward to. And speaking of fashion, I also think that Kyle and I are very jealous of your um, number of automotive based shirts and jackets that you have. Um, yeah. I wish I had some of those in my collection too. The whole, I'm very the whole Moody shirt's a power move, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you've stuff. got some quality stuff there. That's what I'll just say about that. Well, I have to, you know, I've become more and more aware of what you should wear, but we're we're not on TV or anything. Yeah. So I could wear any graphics because, you know, they say, well, oh, you shouldn't have been wearing that shirt, you know, but. I'm literally wearing a T-shirt with John Goodman on it, holding a pizza. <laughs> so I got. And, and I I'm, can't say anything. And I'm wearing my Reading Rainbow T-shirt. So I think yeah. we're all in good quality, in good taste here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did some um, presentations with the Holman Moody guys in uh, at Carlisle at oh, the cool. Ford Nationals. And there's some great people. And they actually came to my studio and signed my GT, one oh, of my GTs awesome. well, that, I, that I sold. But, um, you know, I and I bugged him. I says, dude, I love your shirt. You know, <laughs> can you get me a shirt? I really want a shirt like that. And and they did. And I mean, for a while there when I was working at Ford, because after all these different projects, we get a shirt embroidered with the project, whether yeah. it was a Salt Flats car or it was a, a concept car or a Cobra or whatever. So... And, you know, you don't have to buy shirts anymore. They keep getting you <laughs> these nice go. shirts, you know. Just swap, keep swapping projects and hope they finish them off. Yeah. And then I, I also go to the races. Like, you can go to Laguna or mm-hmm. if you make it out to Le Mans. Yeah. There's certain tents that they'll have last year's race shirt. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, or even like three years ago's race yeah. shirt. And they're still awesome race shirts, and they're really cheap. Yeah. yeah. So I go in and start raking in on those. <laughs> sure. Well, and then you give it a couple more years, and then it's cool again. And then it's classic. So yeah, I don't think, have to worry about it. I think that's another yeah. Car Stories top tip there, and uh, <laughs> buying old race shirts. There yeah. we go. There you go. Yeah, well, car Stories, making men more handsome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. we, 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 uh, the Since host, September. The host certainly needed at least. 
Yeah, we need all the help we can get. That's yeah. why it's a, not a video podcast. Not yet, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Once we get those that ratios. That would be great. I mean, you guys got so much visual stuff here. You can easily do a video We could. Podcast. We just have to find stand-ins. I mean, what Ryan Gosling's doing, he's probably... He can't be that busy. Anyway, well, we really appreciate that you uh, you took the time to... I know you're a busy guy. You're always bouncing around, but really appreciate you took the time to, to come down here on a Tuesday afternoon. And, yeah, have a great conversation with us. Yeah, it was, it was a nice chat. And um, if people want to find you and your work and your paintings and fashion, etc. online, where would they where would they go? Well, I have a website. It's simply camillopardo.com. Yep. But let me tell you, I need to update it, really. <laughs> I mean, if you almost just like Google my name, mm-hmm. a lot of things that are more recent come up in images. Okay. Sure. You know, so it's having that is like having a website that you don't need to deal with. There okay. you go. There you go. You so know, the, and- the world's continuously updating your... Mm-hmm. Your look and what's going on. Does, are you are you on social media at all? Or yes, I have Instagram, but um, I don't work with it that much. Right. Um, my gallery helps me with it because every time I take a picture, and I'm like, that's not worth sharing. <laughs> <laughs> and I take a lot of. I mean, we do a lot of exciting stuff. You yeah. know, my friends and I. You know, putting cameras on the cars and going like hell over here and there, and you know, having a you know, a wine tasting party or a box wine tasting or what, you know, or an opening at a studio. Sure. I mean, there's a lot going on. You know, I keep telling my friends, we should just like strap a GoPro on our head and just go through our day. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like, you know, I guess it contradicts it. I, I should take more pictures. I should put them on Instagram. Everybody keeps telling me, you got to you gotta be more involved with social media. This is like, well, who's going to do this painting? You know, I'll yeah. do the painting. Somebody take the pictures. Exactly. There exactly. you go. Well, we, uh, uh, again, thank you very much for stopping by the podcast, Camillo. It's great to talk to you as always. Uh, thank you guys. For our, listening. Yeah, our brave listeners for uh, continuing to suffer through James and I week after week. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all of your uh, positive reviews and nice comments and downloads, etc. And where can they find us to tell their friends? Oh, how? well, there's so many places. Uh, first, you'd probably want to start with Peterson.org. That is Peterson with two E's. If you put an O in, in the second E position, you've, you've done it wrong and you're not going to find us. So think about your life if that's what you've done. Uh, then uh, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Peterson Museum. Uh, Instagram is Peterson Museum. And Twitter, just to be a little bit different, is uh, Peterson underscore Museum. And uh, we're on Snapchat, which I'm pretty sure is probably Peterson Museum. I think it is. If I had to hazard a guess, you know, just trying to be consistent. Uh, so yeah, check us out. Say hi. We're uh, We're friendly. Uh, and uh, stay tuned for uh, lots more awesome car stories. Uh, we'll be back uh, at you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>